When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast originating from the TSL offices here in Blacksburg. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes, joined as always by the two coolest gentlemen in Blacksburg. The dynamic duo. The dynamic duo. We've got Will Stewart. We've got Chris Coleman. Both are rocking haircuts this week, it looks like. Different styles. Yes, that's true. They look good, guys. haircuts since you saw me. So have you ever seen the Lego Batman movie? I've not. Oh, it's hilarious. You need to watch it. Okay. I have seen the Lego movie. I just haven't seen the Batman version. Oh, well, Batman's the funniest character in the Lego movie. So they they put him in his own movie, and it's hilarious. So I want you, in the intro, I want you to start saying from the high-tech TSL studios atop the corporate research because they, they are high this is a high-tech studio you're right it's a pretty sweet setup actually so when when tony roby was in here last week it was it was uh it would have been embarrassing to have him in our old office <laughs> um this is actually a yes, cool setup will. though man well give us a little bit of a rundown here for our listeners what what does the office look like what are some uh inter- what, what's your favorite virginia tech uh either helmet or sticker what do you like the most about this office setup so I'm going to have to tweet out a picture of the office. I, I did when we first set it up in, in June, but, uh, you know, we've done some work to it since then. You come in the door, I think this space is, uh, it's 400 square feet. I don't know the dimensions of it. One wall has just, it's almost completely windows on one wall. And there's, there's just a really nice view outside of, of the rest of our building, plus a lot of trees, a lot of greenery. It's really nice. Um, so we've got my desk and Chris's desk set up in here, and we do the podcast from a table that is like it's on its own side of the room, you know. So it's a really nice it's, – it's a separate area that we don't use except to do podcasts. I've got the, the shelves up against the wall there, which hide all the ugly stuff. And within one of those shelves is all kinds of TSL T-shirts and goodies and stuff like that. So when people come to visit, I, hope I foist koozies and T-shirts and things like that on them. Uh, hanging around the office, let's see, we have, we've got a Brian Randall print that was exclusive to us that was done in, uh, after he won 2004 ACC Player of the Year. We uh, put together some of Russian Hokies photos. Now, the cool thing about that is we didn't have any sort of uh, media access back then. That was the year that Virginia Tech played against uh, Southern Cal in FedEx Field to start the season. And... It's been so long ago, I don't remember how, but we did get Russian Hokie on the field for that game. So we've got a couple of Brian Randall photos from that game. We've got a photo of him holding the ACC Player of the Year trophy, and that was taken in Castle Coliseum when they introduced the team, you know, and, and he was holding his trophy. And we put those in a really cool uh, print, 2004 ACC Football Player of the Year, and I think we printed 250 of them and had Brian sign all of them. And we sold them for, uh, I think, probably like 60 or 70 bucks a piece. 
So that's kind of cool. That's very unique to TSL. Then there's a bunch of stuff that's not unique to TSL hanging on the wall. Um, you know, we've got some frame Sports Illustrated uh, 1999 stuff. Um, over there on the shelf, we've got Beamer Bobblehead. Uh, um, B Street, Bourbon Street, once sent, he sent me an old, old megaphone. That thing is old. And it's just like a tiny little 10-inch megaphone, and it has the old P inside the V logo, you know? I so, wondered who sent you that. Yeah, that was Bourbon Street. And so, you know, all we've got, and one of the things I think is neat is we've got a big, like, two-foot across circular TSL logo on the wall. So I'll zap out a picture. When, when we do the uh, podcast, I'll, I'll send out a reply with kind of a picture of the office so people can kind of see what it looks like. Chris, I know you're a big baseball fan. Game one of the World Series last night. Did you have a chance to watch? Uh, bits and pieces. Um, I think I think the Red Sox are just a machine. Um, Speak up, Chris. I, uh, the Red Sox are just a machine. And you're playing them. It's like you're playing nine programmed robots, man. They're just too good <laughs> for everybody. Uh, Maybe it's the Braves' year next year. Uh, I don't think it's going to be anybody's year unless some of those Red Sox guys leave and play for somebody else. Uh, I just think that's a – that's kind of a super team they've got up there. And a quick side note, of course, the Red Sox have Jackie Bradley Jr., who played for the Salem Red Sox, a little NRV connection to the World Series. So. That's, that's a stretch. <laughs> a few years ago, I saw Salem play the Braves' high single-A team, and Dansby Swanson was the Braves' top prospect, and that was back when uh, I guess the Salem had Betts and uh, – maybe not Betts – uh, not bets, but a couple other guys. Anyway, it was four of the top ten prospects in baseball were all mm-hmm. playing in Salem on opening night, and I went down and watched them all play. And now they're all in the in the majors, so it was a pretty impressive uh, group. Well, speaking of majors, we have a major game coming up tomorrow on Thursday, Thursday night football. Hokies in Yellow Jackets. We're going to be breaking it down throughout the entirety of the Tech Sideline podcast for this week. We've got your fan questions. We also have a poll question this week back for this podcast. We'll get to that towards the end. And we did lead off the podcast this week with Feel It Still by Portugal of Man. Portugal the man. Portugal the man. It's actually Portugal period the man. And I haven't heard it yet, but I will listen to it when I edit this together. You really like the, the oh, sound man, of it. the song's so. awesome. Yeah, it's going to be really good lead-in music. So this week we have the song lyric, and this is tailored for Chris Coleman. Yeah, I, I, I felt bad because Chris never knew what any of them were. So I, he's a power hitter, and I threw him a hanging curve. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, the, a real <laughs> hanging curve. And we'll get to this at the end of the podcast. The lyric is, nobody likes you when you're 23 and you still act like you are in freshman year. What about if you're 53 like me and you still act like you're in freshman year? Does it loop back around to where everybody <laughs> thinks it's funny and they like you? Dude, I don't think it gets above the age of 23. <laughs> Dead air, no yeah. answer on that. I will say I think all age groups can get this too. Like this, you know, the 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 band. I I I'm still waiting to get my first one, but I understand who the band is. Fairly recent. So. All right. Okay. Yeah. We'll get to it to the end. Of course, the Tech Sideline podcast is proudly presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people. It's a lot of people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. 
com. Now, you know what? That ad copy is actually fairly old, so I need to get an updated number from Jonathan Fisher. I'm sure it's eclipsed that. Maybe well, 50,000 people. It's, it's a bigger number, so we'll get that updated. Well, here we go, guys. Uh, we talked last week, by the way, and actually a quick, quick side note before we get into it. I do want to uh, make sure we recognize and thank once again Tony Roby, head coach of wrestling, for coming on our special podcast last week. We're nearing 1,500 listeners for that individual podcast, and you know, with him coming on last week, he also came um, on the special Tech Talk Live on Sunday uh, towards the end. And there is just a real growing excitement, you can tell, with the Virginia Tech fans about the wrestling program. I know we talked about it last week, but I'm excited to see Castle Coliseum rocking for some wrestling I, this I'm year. Really, I'm going to push that on TSL this year. I'm going to push people to go to, to, to wrestling. Uh, they're called meets. The teams have a meet. Dual meet. Individual wrestlers have a match, correct? Correct. Okay. See, that's, I wonder, so he, I know that he had a lot of big wrestling fans listen to it, probably, and I wonder, uh, I tried to make that podcast accessible to non-wrestling fans, so I wonder if the diehards are listening going, really, is that all you guys have? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm sure they enjoyed it. Yeah, but I saw him on Sunday. He had a great time. He actually put our podcast in his weekly um or some form of a uh, email blast. So, yeah, he, yeah, he sends the email out to the uh, Southeast Regional Training Center donors, and uh -huh. probably he's got more people on the list than just that. So thanks so much for listening. We actually had two podcasts this week, so we talked a little bit about Georgia Tech last week, but this week it is all Yellow Jackets. Tomorrow, Thursday night, Chris Coleman, I know you have been studying the Yellow Jackets extensively, so tell me, what jumps out to you besides the triple option about this team? Uh, I think how bad they are this year. Um, if you, I mean, honestly, look. Now, this they're a bad team. All right. If you look at the S and P Plus advanced stance ranking uh, ratings, they're outside the top 100 in defense, and they're outside the top 100 in special teams. They're 21st in offense, but you know they're, they're, they haven't beaten anybody with a pulse. Um, you know, whenever they play somebody decent, they they lose. Uh, now that being said, they're an extremely difficult matchup for Virginia Tech, just simply because of how young Virginia Tech's defense is, and they'll be facing an offense, the type of offense that they've never faced before. So they're they're not a good team, but you have to you have to take each game as, as one individual matchup and separate out, separate out all that other stuff sometimes. And uh, so this is one of those things where I would there – there are other teams I'd rather play than Georgia Tech, I'll put it that way. So I'm, I was doing some research this week. Uh, I had an idea for an article. I'm not sure if I'll be able to write, write it and run it this afternoon. I don't think we're going to have the time. But the title of the article is going to be, I Feel the Need, the Need for Points. And I was going to have a little Top Gun graphic to go with it. Because I, I think more so than, than any other Virginia Tech-Georgia Tech game, Virginia Tech needs to hang some points on these guys. Um, over 30 probably over 30 that's that's my feeling you know we'll all know by this time friday how how right and wrong any of us are but i just feel like this is one game where virginia tech needs to put up some serious points over 30 who knows it maybe maybe need to go as high as 40 so i started doing research and i, and I started with 2008 when paul johnson arrived in uh in atlanta and i looked at so they play every coastal team every year of course and then their crossover is clemson so those are the six teams that they play every year uh excuse me seven yeah because pitt's been added to the mix let me count one two three four five six seven yeah so they play seven teams every year and i i'm disregarding matchups i'm disregarding all kinds of stuff i'm just looking at the scores of the games 
And if you look at uh, the opponents that Georgia Tech plays every year, there are only three opponents they play every year that have a winning record against them. Miami is 8-2 and two against Georgia Tech, which is something I did not know. Clemson is 7-5. and five. That does not include the ACC championship game. I can't remember what year that was. Maybe... Uh, that's, that's right. Georgia Tech got to the ACC championship game a couple of years ago. I forgot it used about to be that. fairly regularly for them to yeah, go to the ACC yeah, title. So, somewhat. So that 7-5 and five doesn't include that one. Otherwise, it would be 8-5. and five. And so I'll, I'll throw a few basic stats at you. Georgia Tech has scored over 30 points, 30 or, 30 or more, against Virginia Tech just once under Paul Johnson. And that was two years ago when they beat Virginia Tech 30-20 to 20 in Lane Stadium as the cliche goes, in a game that wasn't as close as the score indicated. Now, Georgia Tech has scored 30-plus, I'll just put it this way, many, many times against everybody else in this table that I'm looking at. And that includes Clemson. The first uh, six times they played Clemson, they went over 30 points on them four times. Now, they haven't gone over 30 on Clemson in the last five games, but that's because Clemson's, you know, really got that program humming. They have, they have great defense, and, and they're really geared up to do a good job stopping Georgia Tech. Uh, also, Duke in the last five games has held Georgia Tech under 34 times. Um, but so, so when I look, Virginia Tech basically, uh, when they play defense against Georgia Tech, against in these seven teams listed, Virginia Tech comes in like second holding them to the fewest amounts of points. So Virginia Tech typically does a good job playing defense against Georgia Tech, and the Jackets have only averaged 22.5 points per game. So when we sit here and say Virginia Tech's going to need 30-plus for this game, that's actually unusual. That would be very unusual for Georgia Tech to go out and score over 30. But we feel like this is a matchup issue, and if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this year. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the last four meetings, I think Georgia Tech is averaging 26.5 points against Virginia Tech. It looks about right, and uh, that's just—I mean, that's that's good. Should be a lot of times good enough defensively. Obviously, it hasn't been for Virginia Tech, but this defense for Virginia Tech is not nearly as good as their last four defenses. So, does that mean Georgia Tech will break thirty this year? I mean, if they if they scored twenty-seven against Terrell Edmonds, Tremaine Edmonds, Mook Reynolds, Adonis Alexander, Matua Greg Stroman, and Tim Settle. What are they going to do to these guys who've never faced that offense? And it was before? actually 28. It was 28. It was 28. 22. Okay. Um, so if Virginia Tech can hold them below 30 points this year, considering what they've done against the Hokies the last four years, I think that'd be one hell of an accomplishment, personally. So one of the things I do like, we sit there and we talk, we fret and worry about perimeter tackling. You know, guys like Caleb Farley in particular, Dylan Rivers is, is getting better but I've seen him in space struggle to tackle a guy one-on-one. Um, one of the things I do like about this matchup is I like Rayshard Ashby in the middle. Um, I th- so if you start looking at the history of this game, you go last year to two years, let's see. Go back to, I think, 2015. The last time Tech won't beat them. Yeah, uh, Virginia Tech beat him. Yes. Um, I may be getting my years mixed up, but there was a year where uh, Bud schemed a defense where he had his inside linebackers inside the tackle box. So he had however many offense, uh, defensive linemen it was, and he had Matua Poaka and uh, Edmonds inside the tackles. 
And that was any anytime I see that, I think that's geared towards getting Georgia Tech to pitch it to the outside. And he also put Matua Pawaka seven yards off the line of scrimmage in that setup. And Matua Pawaka was good at that. That was a game where he I don't remember how many tackles he had, but he had a good game. He did a lot of slashing to the sideline, threading his way between blockers and just taking guys out. Now the next year Bud ran a very similar scheme in this this may have even been uh, – no, this was a 30-20 to 20 game two years ago, except he took his uh, inside linebackers and put them outside the tackle box. He really opened up – excuse me, his outside linebackers. He really opened up the middle of the field. So it was a similar setup, except what you see – and I put this in an article this week – is you see Matua Pawaka seven yards off the line of scrimmage and a big gaping hole in the middle that says, hey, Georgia Tech, run it up the middle. And – Matua Pawaki did not have as good a game. He was he, I always thought he was more of an outside linebacker type, and Chris said when he was recruited he was actually like a strong safety type. The more he had to play in the middle, the more he got caught up in traffic and got confused. And there was a run in that, in that game where uh, Georgia Tech, I can't remember the kid's name, he was their backup quarterback, and he just motored right up the middle untouched. So you've got this pre-snap setup of the middle of the field is empty except Matua Pawaki is seven yards off the ball, and then I had a screen cap of when that Georgia Tech runner came through the line, and Matua Pawaka was running off to the side. He was completely vacating the middle. And that was one of two long runs, I think, that Georgia Tech had in that game. And so the reason I'm babbling all this stuff is I'm looking forward to seeing Rayshard Ashby play against this Georgia Tech offense, particularly on the stuff up the middle. Since he's new, this is his first year starting, yeah, he may take some wrong angles and get lost in traffic. But I think in general, he will read the play better than Matua Pawaka did, and he'll be there more. So that's one of the things I'm looking forward to watch. And one of the things that is encouraging uh, and will get more encouraging as the years years go by, I think Rayshard Ashby is a good fit for playing against this offense. Yeah, if that's how they use him. Correct. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what Virginia Tech's defensive alignment will be. I mean, Bud Foster, you know, he, he's known to go against tradition a little bit against Georgia Tech I mean, and to throw out some uh, some alignments that you're not expecting. Um, so we don't know exactly how Virginia Tech's going to line up on Thursday night yet. But in theory, I agree. Is uh, a guy who's going to defend the A-gaps against that B-back dive, I think Rayshard Ashby is a, is a much better fit than Andrew Matuapalaka was against this George Tech offense. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch Dax Hollyfield in this game, and a couple of reasons why it was pointed out uh, earlier this week, again on Tech Talk Live, is that Dax Hollyfield, his high school's offense, ran the triple option. And he really? had to defend this constantly. And so Fuente was talking about with Lays on Sunday how um, he has been a real leader in helping guys watching film, and in practice, uh, and he's wearing the 25 jersey this week. Mm-hmm. you got to think that has some part in that probably for um, you know, preparation. Yeah, I, I think Dax Hollyfield could – and, again, there are a couple points you got to bring about this too. You were talking about high school to Division One college football. <laughs> yeah. um, but the scheme is still the same thing. It's just that these guys are going to execute at a much higher level than high school, obviously. So I think that this is a game where we could look back on and the freshman has a real – breakout game at the linebacking core uh, i hope you're right well i hope so um you know i just I, I just like the mac i like the matchup of dax against georgia tech better than i like dylan rivers uh i thought and i wrote this in my article after the unc game that uh 
watching Dax and Dylan play against UNC, that was the first game where I really thought Dax had separated himself. And I, I'm not savvy enough to say whether or not he's making the right read on every play and all that kind of stuff. I just thought he looked more decisive and more physical. Um, and he may be separating himself from Dylan. Now, this may all just be talk. And the rotation may be the exact same as it's been all along. Rivers will start. Dax will play maybe a third of the snaps. We'll see. You know, um, uh, I think people are kind of living in fear of this game, and I get that. So am I. But at the same time, it's 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 a fascinating matchup to watch year after year. Going back to the the year I was talking about, where Bud had his outside linebackers inside the tackle box and then outside the tackle box. When he took them outside. I remember running the stats on that game. The Georgia Tech quarterback and B-back took the ball up the middle, 51 out of 56 rushing plays. They only pitched on five plays. Wow. So Bud said, here, come get it. And Paul Johnson went and got it. And Bud never adjusted. Now, I get it. He'd been practicing that particular setup the whole week. But I don't think it was one of Bud's better game plans because it put uh, – it wasn't just a Matua Pawaka issue – Someone else, maybe Mook, was, uh, or was, I may be getting my ears confused, but I thought that that particular game plan wasn't Bud's best because it, I don't think it played to the strengths of his players, particularly Matua Pawaka, whereas just the year before he did. So it's always interesting to see what, what Bud comes up with. You know, um, uh, we can take some guesses at what he'll do. It's not just scheme, it's personnel. If you got guys that aren't great tacklers, what are you going to do with your guys that are better tacklers? I think Tyree Rogers is a good tackler. Uh, Jovan Quillen, I think, is a good tackler. Ladler is a good tackler. Reggie Floyd is a little hot and cold this year. Um, what are you going to do? What personnel are you going to put on the field, and how are you going to line them up to try to, even though they're going to do the best job defending Georgia Tech? Yeah, and to me, it's uh, I don't mean this in a bad, mean way, but I don't think I don't think Caleb Farley's a good matchup at all for for Georgia, for Georgia Tech. I mean, he's a good matchup for Georgia Tech. Sorry, I, I, if if I misphrase that, if I'm Paul Johnson, I'm going right after <laughs> Caleb right, Farley. Right. Um, so, if you're Bud Foster, how do you hide Caleb Farley and Far Farley and his lack of tackling on the on the outside? Um, that's a big thing for me. I, honestly, I I can't stand playing Georgia Tech. Whether I think Virginia Tech is going to win or whether I think they're going to lose, I'm ready to get this game over with. It's such a headache. Um, you're worried about guys getting hurt and everything like that. I, I just, uh, but but at the same time, I recognize I'm glad Georgia Tech is who they are because I think it adds. It's it's unique. College football, there's a uniqueness to it with these different schemes and everything like that. And and I think Georgia Tech adds into what's good about college football as opposed to the NFL where everything just kind of looks the same for, for, for each team. Um, but at the same time, I'm sick and tired of playing them, to well, be honest. I think, I think so many schools around the country don't like playing just triple option teams in general because they're the most unpredictable teams in all of the country. You take a look, Army nearly beat Oklahoma this year. Uh, at Oklahoma, that's a triple option. Well, you look offense. what Navy did to UVA last year. You, you look at that, and you also look. I mean, Notre Dame fans are a little. I mean, not. I don't know if nervous is the right word, but they play Navy this week. And again, I think so many teams hold this sense of fear because you just don't know. Which sometimes these triple option teams come out of nowhere, and sometimes teams are able to shut them down, like Clemson or Miami against Georgia Tech. You just don't know. And so for Virginia Tech fans, Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech always winds up being a rock fight. It, it, there's never much separation. You know, last time Virginia Tech went over 30 was 2011. 
and Virginia Tech won 37-26. to 26. That's a two-score win. Most of the games between these teams aren't like that. Neither team goes over 30. They generally go 17 or over, so it winds up being a one-score game, and it's a rock fight. And everybody talks about the limited number of possessions against Paul Johnson's team. Well, you know, yes and no. That's more of a Virginia Tech thing than anything else. If you go looking at their historical scores against the teams they play every year, this, this table I made up, there are teams out there that hang 40 and 50 on Georgia Tech. I'm not going to say on a regular basis because that's just not regular, but it happens. I mean, uh, you know, let's go. Duke has put uh, 43 on them in recent years. Uh, Clemson, 49, 43, 55, 47. Miami, 45, 42, 38. UNC, in the last few years, last year, seven points. Before that, 48, 38, and 48 points, 20, and then 50. Other teams are hanging points on Georgia Tech. And it's hard to score 55 points or 50 points when you have, quote-unquote, limited possessions. So there's more going on there. I think it's more of a matchup thing with Virginia Tech and Georgia Real Tech. Real quick, taking a look at this year. South Florida, 49 points on Georgia Tech. There's two kickoff returns for touchdowns in that okay. game. Okay. <laughs> Clemson, 49 points. Louisville. 31. That's a lot for that Cardinal I'll offense. take 31. Yeah, but Georgia Tech was scoring it well on Louisville, which means Louisville I think they scored every single possession. Yeah, I think they had nine possessions and they had eight touchdowns and a field goal or something like that. Or, or you know, and they also had a, a pick six. Here's one thing, Will. I saw, I was reading something today and I saw this stat that from 2004 to 2013, Tech won eight of ten meetings against Georgia Tech. And my question to you is, what has happened? Uh, Tech lost Virginia Tech. They don't have as much talent as they used to. But, but honestly, but even going back to last but, year, you again you get two first rounders correct. on defense. Now, you get, how the the defensive performance last year, Tech, Virginia Tech did pretty well against the run last year. I, I know I think they held them to two hundred forty six yards, but, but the, which doesn't sound great. But that is pretty good against yeah, Georgia absolutely. Tech. They have they averaged three hundred fifty yards a game on the ground. They're gonna get their yards. Where they screwed up last year was in the secondary, and Mook Reynolds did not have a good game. I remember they, they moved Mook back to kind of like a rover role because they were afraid Reggie Floyd would get exposed in coverage uh, so that he didn't play as much, I believe. <laughs> and then Mook, and then Mook got exposed in coverage. Uh, Georgia Tech completed two passes against Virginia Tech last year uh, for a total of 140 yards, and both went for touchdowns. Yeah. And that was the disappointing part in the game. So, well, there's two ways that I feel like you can look at this game. If you're a Virginia Tech fan, number one is, okay, it's been two years. This is really the first time in quite some time Virginia Tech fans at the beginning of a season have the Georgia Tech game circled, right? Like it's like an uh-oh game on a two-game losing streak. So Virginia Tech either comes out prepared for this game as heck because they've been preaching it all offseason, they don't want to lose, or you look at the fact that Virginia Tech has basically replaced just about every starter from last year, a young team, and Georgia Tech could put up 30 to 40 points. The other thing that's getting discussed is is Georgia Tech and Fuente's head. Uh, Georgia Tech has been a difficult matchup for years, but under under Frank Beamer and Bud Foster, you know they handled it fairly well. Uh, Justin Fuente's zero two against Georgia Tech. If he loses this one, he'll be zero and three. And Chris, was it you that you were reading a stat to me that uh, that would be the first time? Oh my goodness! Uh, and this, the, I have not. Con- I can't confirm this. But it was in Corey Van Dyke's article earlier today, and I, I didn't have time to do the research myself and make sure it was correct. This would be Georgia Tech's third win in a row in Lane Stadium. In Lane Stadium, yeah. And nobody's done that since Miami in 19, 
1982, 1982, and 1960 60 wow. something. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but again, so that I think that that brings up the point again that okay, the first time it happens shouldn't have happened second time it's like oh wow I, I almost just feel like again that regardless of who's out there that Fuente and company they're not going to let this happen for three years in a row but at the same time the experience but the talent but the experience isn't all there on defense you don't know what you're going to get I know you know and and back to the subject of whether or not they're in Fuente's head he started chasing points in the first half last year um went for two before halftime um, Didn't they receive after the uh, opening coin toss too? Receiving the first half, I want to say. Uh, that would be different, yeah. Um, you know, I don't have last year's game plastered in my mind, and Evan's getting ready to look it up on the computer. <laughs> but that was also odd play calling at the end when Virginia Tech. Chris, help me. Uh, didn't they, a, didn't they? Wasn't it like they had third, a third, they had a third and, and one, short. third and short, and they threw deep twice or something like yes. that, twice in a row. And and they were yeah. So it's it's. Uh, Justin Fuente, in my opinion, does odd things that are a little out of character for him. To be uh, fair, you know, when they when they threw that deep post to Cam Phillips last year in the end zone, he was going up against a freshman, and it was man coverage. And he was open. You put the ball up, and you expect your senior wide receiver to beat a freshman corner. Well, it was a bad pass, wasn't it? Eh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, nah. uh, could have been a little better. but it So I take that back. Tech did kick off to begin yeah. that game. They did not receive. But I think that does bring up actually a, a question. If this is going to be a shootout, and Fuente has said on the he prefers to defer to the second half, mm-hmm. do you take the opening kickoff? Uh, you know, people keep going back and forth on that. Uh, you know, now if you take the opening kickoff and go down the field and score, you look like a genius. But you're and you know you're afraid of them driving down the field and getting a seven nothing lead on your young defense. But you know, I mean, it's not like Virginia Tech's lighting the world on fire offensively right now. They struggle to score twenty two points against North Carolina, and Carolina can't stop anybody. So it's con- very conceivable that that you know Virginia Tech takes the ball, they get stopped, and then you punt, and then Georgia Tech goes 75 yards for a touchdown. The only difference is there were three Virginia Tech plays in the middle, and now Georgia Tech gets the ball first in the second half. Um, so I don't th- I don't think there's a right answer. I mean, if whatever he chooses doesn't work, he'll get second guessed. Yeah. If it were me, honestly, I, I thought about it earlier in the week. I would have told you, you know what, I will receive. Let's let's go for it. I'd, I'd probably just go ahead and do my normal thing. So, reading your um, preview article that's put up, by the way, great stuff. TechSideline.com. Definitely be sure to check it out. Uh, CC doing a great job. I, I Taquan Marshall's coming back at quarterback, and, and this guy to me is one of the better Georgia Tech quarterbacks I can remember running that offense he, in quite some he time. Can certainly, Ron. I don't think he's as good in the passing game. As, he's, uh, he is Johnson. leading the team in rushing with 598 yards. You're right. Um, now, they've had a backup quarterback who's played in six games and rushed for over 400 yards this year. Tobias Oliver. Yeah, and I don't think he must not be as advanced in the in the passing game because he only has nine passing attempts. But he's got a bunch of running attempts, and I think he's third on the team in rushing with over 400 yards, and he's had a couple of 100-yard games in there. So we're going to see two quarterbacks. Um, I, I think – they would prefer for Marshall to be a little more efficient in the passing game. Um, now, at the same time, if, uh, if my quarterback goes two of eight, but but both passes are completed for 140 yards for two touchdowns, I would take that. But on the whole, you know, he's thrown three touchdowns and four interceptions this year. They're not quite getting as much out of him. And I don't, I don't think they have as much overall talent as they used to at, at Georgia Tech either. Uh, I don't, well, I don't, and they had to – Cervante Benson, was that his name? I don't 
I think I think he got uh, knocked out after about three games. I don't know if he was an A back or a B back. You know, I wasn't paying attention at that point in time. Georgia Tech's one of those teams, and and for a football coach, they're all like this. You know, you hear Bud Foster when you ask him well, who are some of their players on offense, and he'd be like, oh, number twenty one at what running I, back, yeah. number eighty four at wide receiver. They're just X's and O's to the opposing coaches. They mark them out on film to their players as number eighty four. They don't they don't call them by name. So, but so to me, it Georgia Tech is like that, like. It's the same offense year after year, and it doesn't matter who's run it, running it. They're going to put up a certain number of yards and a certain number of points generally. So, you know, it's their B-back. It's their A-backs. It's, it's their quarterback. They don't really have names to me. They're all just kind of robots and just running that robotic Paul Johnson offense. No, I remember, I remember like, the first set of players he had. Who That was, he, the, that was his best set of players. That, that was, that was yeah. Nesbitt, Nesbitt's last uh, first name, James? Jo- uh, Jonathan Nesbitt. Jonathan and, Nesbitt. And, and, uh, no, no, no. Jonathan, no, Jonathan Dwyer was, Jonathan was a runner. Dwyer. Jonathan Dwyer, Dwyer. yeah. And, and uh, I forget Nesbitt. Nesbitt was a big physical dude, yeah. you know, and I'm sure they had a, a Dwyer, good. I think, became a first-round pick at Tailback, didn't he? Play he played for the Steelers. Steelers. He played Correct. in the NFL. I yeah. don't know if he was a first-round pick or not, but he played in the he, NFL. He did. I actually had him on fantasy for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so it's really it's really difficult for me to talk about this game because the only time I've seen Georgia Tech play this year was against Louisville. <laughs> that was – they smacked Louisville. Louisville didn't even try. So I, I think I have – you look at the statistics and you look at the record and Georgia Tech's not good – but the only time I saw them, they were awesome. So it, it kind of throws me off. I saw them a little bit against Duke. They lost twenty-eight to fourteen. Uh, you know, Duke is is an older, experienced defense, except for the except for obviously the cornerback position. And when you've got juniors and seniors on defense, and and they're smart Duke kids, mm-hmm. that's a good matchup for Duke against that Georgia Tech offense. Yeah. Uh, now Virginia Tech has more talent, more overall athleticism and talent and ability on defense, I believe, than Duke does. But Tech's guys are freshmen and sophomores. They've never faced anything like that before. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think Virginia Tech's going to hold them to 14 points like Duke did. Um, well, and, and one of the keys for Virginia Tech to be successful, really for anybody to be successful against this offense, is good defensive tackle play. And it's not just Virginia Tech's youth. It's the fact that their best player on defense isn't 100%, Ricky Walker. Um, Ricky has been solid this year, but he hasn't been as good as he could be because you know he's not 100%. There's something going on with a foot or an ankle or something. So that's the other thing that bugs me about this matchup. So Mark Turner has a question for both of you. And thanks so much to everyone for chiming in, whether on the uh, TSL website, the message boards, or tweeting him at us. Mark Turner has two questions. Number one, is how many points do the Hokies need to score for a win on Thursday? You know, that's that's a good question. 30-plus uh, is ideal, what you want to shoot for, I think. But if Georgia Tech averaged 26.5 against Virginia Tech's defense over the last four years, you got to think this young Virginia Tech defense, which for, quite frankly has not been good this, this year, you got to think Georgia Tech would be good for at least another touchdown against that group, right? At least, yeah. Um, so you, you might be talking mid-30s here. That's what I was going to say was 35. I'm just going to put a number on it, 35. His other question, will Georgia Tech throw for more yards – or I'm sorry, will Georgia Tech throw more against the Hokies than they have against any other team this year? Nah, I think they threw it 18 times in one game, I know. I was, I was looking through their box scores the other day. I think it might have been their first game. Alcorn State. Alcorn State, I think they threw it like 18 times. and for, I don't know <laughs> That's why. That's kind of weird. Uh, but uh, so I don't anticipate them throwing it more than that. No. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. All right, so thanks so much to Mark Turner for uh, tweeting in that question. All right, we're bringing it back. Excuse me, it's been a couple of weeks 
since we have done a little over-under because it's been a while since we've been previewing a game. Get a reminder that the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm. All right, let's do some over-under. Uh, we did go back and look. I'm pretty sure we went back and looked. I think it was pretty even for the North Carolina game. I think it was pretty down the middle. I'm going to do a better job of keeping no, track. No, I, I think I think Chris stomped me pretty good. I, uh, let's he, see. he got about three or four right, and I got maybe two. He won the over-under. He won – yeah, I think CC got, got you by two. So You, you should see Evan's notes. <laughs> it's hard to read my own handwriting. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's do this. I've got, I've got it right here. So over-under, 34-and-a-half points for Virginia Tech's oh, offense. Oh, man, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, under because I think I picked them to score thirty four, so you, that's a great over under for you. Just just under, yeah. Will's going under over under thirty four and a half for Virginia for Georgia Tech. Under. I believe I picked them thirty four to twenty four, so I'm going very 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 slightly under. Okay, so we got Will's okay, under. Would you say Chris? I also said under. Okay, we're, we're not any fun this week. We're it's it's, it's going to be bad if they hang <laughs> over forty on Virginia Tech. That's uh, and limited to possessions. That would be uh, yeah. over under three hundred yards total offense for Georgia Tech. Over or under? Yes. Oh, over. That's got to be over. Okay. Over under two hundred and fifty passing yards for Ryan Willis. Over. Really. I'm I'm gonna have faith that Ryan Willis is gonna have a Duke-like game here in terms of accuracy, completion percentage. You know, he's only completing something like 58% of his passes. He was 17 to 27 against Duke. Um, I'm just gonna have faith that he's gonna the pendulum's gonna swing back in the other direction. He's gonna have a good game. I'll go over. Okay. All right. Lastly, over under two and a half turnovers for Virginia Tech. Under. Nuts. <laughs> Sounds like we're going to agree on everything. This is my heart saying under. Okay, over under two and a half turnovers for Georgia Tech. Under. Did I pick a single over the entire time? I don't think I did. No, you didn't actually. I think no, you over for passing yards. Okay. Or total yards offense for Georgia Tech. So, again, I'm going to pick with my heart and go over. Um, okay. I, you know, in order for a team to turn the ball over a lot, you have to pressure them. And I don't think that Virginia Tech's defense, it, with its youth, is, is really good at pressuring opposing offenses. Um, so three turnovers is a lot. Uh, if, if you're talking about an offense, it typically doesn't, doesn't blow a lot of plays up and stuff like that. All right, so CC won the first time we did over-under. We'll have to take a look next week on the podcast. Well, we've got the only one area where we're differing, I think, so it'll come down to that. So now it is time for the predictions. I know you just kind of alluded to it. However... Let's get some score predictions. CC, what you got? I picked it 34 to 31, Virginia Tech, in my preview. I'm not at all confident in that pick. <laughs> not at all confident. Uh, he just wouldn't be, didn't want to be fussed at by Stork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, uh, I don't know. We said when the season started that you got to take this on a game-by-game -game basis and – on certain weeks, the team was going to look good. In certain parts of the season, but they were going to look bad, and that's just how youth is. Now, to be fair, they looked really good against Florida State, but Florida State isn't very good. They haven't looked good since then, really good since then, honestly. Uh, they looked good for a half against Notre Dame. Um, 
I thought they looked good against Duke at the time, but as it turns out, Daniel Jones just isn't, and that Duke offense just aren't any good at all. Like so, it made Tech's defense look like they were playing well that night. They really weren't. Duke's just not good. If if you look at their stats they've put up since then, that's just not a good offense at all. So that makes me worry about Tech's defense going into this game, and I was already going to be worried about Tech's defense going into this game. you know, I just think Virginia Tech's performance is going to fluctuate this year, game by game, maybe even quarter to quarter. Um, it's just it's tough to make predictions with this team, but uh, I'll go with a very narrow Virginia Tech win. Well, Stewart, I picked uh, Georgia Tech to win 34-24. Now, with the caveat that 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 makes it sound like I'm down on the Hokies, I'm really not. I actually like the rest of Virginia Tech's season. Um, I just don't like this game and this matchup. So 34-24 Georgia Tech, if Ryan Willis decides to go out there and go off, then you might see something like a 38-34 Virginia Tech win. I think that might be what it takes. Um, but that's that's where I'm going to hang my hat, 34-24. But it's funny. We say when we talk about this stuff, and, you know, sometimes they go out there and they play, man, and stuff happens that you just never saw coming and – and what if it winds up being a 17-14 game somehow? You know, it's not likely. We sit here and we talk like, oh, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And I don't know, man. You never know. You know, a lot of crazy things I think would have to happen for this to be a low-scoring game, like a bunch of turnovers and stuff like that. But you never know, man. It's college football. I mean, I don't think I would have seen Purdue beating Ohio State by 29 points. Uh, who knows? I'm going 31-27 Tech. Virginia Tech, <laughs> that is. Um, Hedge your bets. And I don't feel overly confident in it, but the thing that gives me the most confidence, I just don't see Bud Foster in Fuente losing three years in a, load of Georgia, in a row to Georgia Tech. Yeah. I don't see it. I, I just I think that this is a game that after they lost last year, they have just been chomping at the bit to get back. Well, I think that's fair. I think you're playing the percentages. Agreed. It's tough to beat a good staff and a good team three years in a row if the coaching is similar and the talent is similar and things like that. You know, Like I said, if you play the percentages, that other team's going to win at least one of them. Like Virginia Tech talent-wise is better than Georgia Tech. Uh, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be – would I be surprised if Georgia Tech wins? Not at all. Sure. Um, but I just cannot see – not only just Fuente and Foster, I can't see Charlie Wiles getting beat three years in a row. I can't see that entire terrific coaching staff. I just can't see it. And, and, and again, if Georgia Tech was better than Virginia Tech, then I might feel differently. But this is a game that Tech should win. I think they know that, and I think they're going to be ready to, to play this game. Yeah, well, I think it's if they can start off 4-0 in the ACC, that puts a lot of pressure on some of those other teams. Um, I know they still have head-to-head matchups with Miami and Virginia. But uh, the longer they go without slipping up, the better it looks for them. Absolutely. Speaking of pressure in the ACC Coastal, I do think I do want to make sure that we kind of close the podcast here talking about Virginia. No, yeah, sure. Because Did, didn't we make predictions for the ACC last weekend? We did. You guys had UVA going. You had them at six and six, and you had them at seven and five. Did I? I thought I had him at seven and five. Or was it? Okay, so you were seven and five. And Will was six and six. You guys both had Duke beating Virginia. I went back and forth on that because Duke never plays well against Virginia. So, um, and I tell you what, I actually had a chance to listen and watch some of that game. I tell you what, they they picked apart that Duke secondary later in that game. I mean, 
UVA is knocking on the door in the coastal race right now. I thought they played with a lot of confidence. I thought they did some interesting stuff on defense. Um, I'm sure my attention was wandering as I was watching, but I remember seeing some bizarre defensive alignment where they had one defensive lineman down and the other three up and like two of them clustered around the center. Really weird stuff that you can see given given trouble. I think their quarterback's good. Uh, he was good against Bryce Duke. Bryce Perkins. Bryce Perkins was good against Duke. He threw some horrendous interceptions against Miami. So again, it's just, you know, which Bryce Perkins are you going to get? But if you if you go by you know, fans tend to filter things. Everybody filters things through what's the last game you saw. Virginia Tech didn't look very good against UNC. And UVA looked good and confident against Duke. So I think that's why people are worried. And, you know, that, like I said, that's fair. And it actually does lead us to our Tech Sideline poll question of the week. I put it out on Monday. And the question was, how confident or nervous are you for the UVA game? Options were very confident, confident, worried, very worried. 43% said worried. 34% confident, 17% very worried, 6% very confident. Is that where you guys stand? So group it together, the two confidence and the two worries, what do they add up to? So the confidence add up to 40% and the worries add up to 60%? Yes. That sounds about right. Wow. Coming up, coming off the last. So on average, people are worried. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair for you guys? Is that what you, I mean, are you worried for Virginia at this point right now? Uh, at this point right now, yes. Sure. sure. Look at, looking at them coming off the last couple of games. Um, and it's not so much about Virginia as it is about Virginia Tech. I, I Correct. I don't think Virginia Tech's very good, personally. I know they're 3-0 and in the ACC, but, you know, when I wrote when Josh Jackson got hurt, I said, my hope is that I think Ryan Willis is more likely to put up 30 points than Josh Jackson. Well, here we are, and it took them the entire game before they broke the 20-point barrier against a bad against UNC a bad team. And now keep in they, mind, I, they only scored 23 against Notre Dame. Uh, so are, is that even accurate? He's more physically talented than Josh Jackson, but are they capable? Are they, They're not putting up any more points with him at quarterback than, than they would with Josh Jackson, most likely. Um so to me, I just I don't know what Virginia Tech is right now. So let me ask you this: If Tech makes the Coastal champ, if they win the Coastal, how big of a deal would that be for this program to win that with this team this year and the injuries they faced? If they did it, to me, it would be like 2008. I think it would be a big deal because it's never not a big deal when you win the Coastal. And you know, Virginia Tech had a freshman running back uh, that year and everything, but the Coastal was awful that year. Didn't Just they win it off. at five and three? Yeah, they won it at five and three. There were a bunch of teams. That, there were two or yeah. three teams at five and three, yeah. and Tech, Virginia Tech won right. a tiebreaker. Right, exactly. Uh, and then they got they got they made a BCS bowl where they drew woo Cincinnati, and it was Cincinnati Cincinnati versus a, a, a Virginia Bri- Tech team that went five and three in the ACC Coastal Division in the Orange Bowl. That, that was Brian like the, Kelly. Oh yeah, it was, and yeah. that was like pretty much probably the worst Orange Bowl in history. Now I think it would be an accomplishment for this team considering their youth on defense. But I also don't think this – that's not one of the Coastal Division championship trophies that you uh, put out on the forefront of the Merriman Center, right? It's, it's <laughs> it, You know, it's, it wouldn't be your most impressive uh, Or maybe it would be, considering the, the, the inexperience. I mean, what point I'm trying to say is if they I win know. the Coastal this year, I mean – I know what you're saying. Oh, is um, Fuente Coach of the Year? If you win the Coastal, I think so. I, 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 yeah, I that's it's Dabo would win it. 
Dabo would win it. You can't, you can't. You're not going to give coach of the year to a guy that lost Old Dominion uh, <laughs> against Dabo, who goes undefeated. That's not going to happen. Um, now, if they win the Coastal with, this year, I mean, I do think I don't want anybody to get me wrong. It would be a really good accomplishment, but it's not like. Is there a top twenty? Is Miami a top twenty-five team? Would you think? Do you think uh, Miami's b- borderline? Borderline. Well, I, I, let's cut right to it. The Coastal Championship in 2016 was impressive. The ACC was good that year, right? And that that was a really impressive coaching and playing job. Yeah. yeah. This year, eh. <laughs> I do think. I mean, I think it would be an impressive coaching job, but uh, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, we're sitting here talking about them winning the Coastal, and this is how how weird the season is. Honestly, I'm worried about the bowl streak. Yeah. But I'm also think we can win the coastal. I could see this team going nine and eight and three, nine and whatever, I don't know. But or five and seven. Right. It's just too much unknown right now. A lot, lot of unknowns. That's what makes football so great. All right, last thing. Uh, we do have a question that uh, actually was written in from Chaz B on uh, TSL, the message board. Yeah, I got some, th- some things to say about this. Yeah, and so this, is a, this is kind of a – I feel like one we could sit here and talk about for quite some time. I'm going to read off the full um, email what he said. So he said, first of all, the TSL team has its hands on the pulse of Virginia Tech Athletics and the Hokie Nation more than anyone. You are too kind. That was very nice of him. (laughs) What happened to make the Hokie Nation so complacent? Thursday night game in Blacksburg, and there's more dread than delight about seeing our Hokies beat Georgia Tech. See, that's, that's complacent is his word. Anyway, proceed. Let, let, let me finish. Then he goes, VT controls its own coastal destiny with four of the last five games at home. Section 7 is a blast being a part of the lane magic rather than watching it on TV. Because when lane is rocking, there's none like her on any college campus. What can be done to fill the stands and rain hell down on the yellow jackets? <laughs> Muchos gracias, Chaz B. All right, so first of all, we're at the 49-minute point of the podcast, and usually our podcasts are an hour long, so we got plenty of time to talk we about do. this. We do. We did a good job with this week. Um, and it's, it's, his question ties into not just Virginia Tech football culture, but uh, college football culture as a whole and live sports culture as a whole. Uh, so let's, let's address the, the lack of attendance for, you know, there's going to be a lot of empty seats Thursday night. Um, you know, Thursday night used to be a college football showcase. They had what? They have they had Herb Street and Reese uh, Davis. Uh, no, it was Fowler before at, Russ well, at the beginning. It was Mike Tarico, I think. Yep. And Herb Street and uh, Lee Corso, great broadcasting team. They brought a lot of focus to it. It was an honor to play on Thursday nights. Um, and Virginia Tech's first ever ESPN game was the 1990 Tech UVA game, which was on a uh, Saturday. Virginia Tech's second Thursday night game was in 1994. They hosted West Virginia. And I remember, you know, this is pre-internet days, and I remember going into a convenience store out on in Christiansburg on what's now called the Motor Mile, where all, where all the uh, Sheeler dealerships are. And I remember picking up a USA Today newspaper, and there was a picture of Maurice DeShazo, not right on the front cover of the newspaper, but up in the corner where they're previewing what's going on in the sports section. There was a feature article in the USA Today sports section about Virginia Tech hosting West Virginia that night. It was a big deal, and people showed up for it back then. Now, Virginia Tech Stadium was also only 49,000, 50,000 seats at the time, Uh, and and most of those tended to be filled by diehards. 
it's been a long time since then, you know, and, and uh, tickets are more expensive these days. Hotel rooms are Hotels. more expensive. Um, you know, the, the th- everything's fun when it's new. When it's not new anymore, it tends to get a little played out. Yes, this is a big game, but, you know, Virginia Tech's had a lot of big Thursday night games, and, and um, then there's the, the, the societal, societal issues, cultural issues about, man, your, your TV these days is 55 inches. Back then, you had a 20-inch tube TV. Man, you can sit at home and not pay the ticket price and not pay the concession price and not pay the hotel room price or the gas or all that and watch this thing on television. So it's, uh, you know, part of it is Virginia Tech has played in so many Thursday night games. They just don't have the cachet they used to. The Thursday night game itself as an institution has jumped the shark. You know, it used to be a big deal. It's not anymore. It's just a, it's a, a, a confluence of things, you know. And I only think that part of it is fear of Georgia Tech. This is actually going to be a very interesting game to watch. It's just things have changed. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the opponent, in my opinion. Um, I think if Virginia Tech was undefeated right now, they would have trouble selling out Lane Stadium for, for this game. Um, I just think that's, you know, the, like you said, societal changes and everything like that. There's an, there's an NFL game on Thursday night these days, it's so, which makes Thursday night just not that big a deal. Remember when you were a big Dolphins fan back in the early 80s or something like that, right? Yeah. Well, the Dolphins awesome. are playing this Thursday night. Now, imagine if you were a huge Dolphins fan. All right, the World Series is going on right now. Now, it won't be played on Thursday, right, because the game two is tonight, and then they'll take a day off tomorrow. But if the Braves were in the World Series right now, and they played on the same night Virginia Tech was playing a Thursday night game, and I could not watch the Braves in a World Series – I would, I would seriously think about tailgating all day and then actually going to a bar and getting the Braves game on one TV and Virginia Tech game on the other TV because um, I would not miss a World Series game uh, if the Braves were in it. So I'm, what I'm, I'm saying, that there, yeah, there's so many more options these days. And I was having this conversation with someone last night uh, about the Notre Dame game and how, how expensive were local hotels for the Notre Dame? $600 a night with a two-night two minimum. minimum. Okay. Now, if, Good I'm, if, I, if, I, if I'm coming in from Virginia Beach, like, f- I don't know, five five hour drive away or something like that. So you could technically do that in one day. Five hours up, five hours back with a three and a half hour game in between. But it's not likely that you can do that. Um, if I was from Virginia Beach and I came up and I had to get a hotel for the Notre Dame game, then I'd be paying more than my season ticket package for two nights in a hotel. One game. Yeah, one nuts. game. I mean, if you do that for every game, I mean, you're literally spending thousands of dollars. It used to be you roll up, you get a hotel room for one night for 100 150 bucks or something like that, and that was it. And that's doable for everybody, and that's not doable anymore. Too. I, I was telling someone, if it were me and I were coming from Virginia Beach, I would pay a buddy like three or 400 bucks to drive me up, sit in the car while I go to the game, and then drive me back because that would be more <laughs> worth it than paying $1,200 for a hotel yeah, that's room. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just think it's it's much more difficult for, for, for people these days. I also think that they should be played on Friday nights instead of Thursday nights. And I know everybody's like, oh, but high school football, <sighs> whatever. You only t- you only have to take you only have to take one day off of work if it's a Friday night game instead of two. You could even if you're local, you could even just take a half a day off from work. That's right. Um, so I just think it's a lot more convenient. To have and the TV ratings back it up. Tech's most recent Thursday night games versus their Friday night games. The Friday night games are are, are getting better ratings. 
So you think the the reasons that and again to his question that Hokie Nation is has become complacent. I I, I want to key in on that word because complacent can be taken so many different ways. I mean, has the fan base become I, I complacent? I don't think they've become complacent. I don't think they're as hardcore as they used to be. Um, I, I'll always go back. Remember when I was? I remember when I was a student. We had a noon game against Syracuse, and that's one of the loudest I've ever heard. Lane Stadium, and that was in the first quarter. These days, the stadium would only be seventy-five percent in the first quarter because people are still filing into it because they're staying at their tailgates so late. And I'll say this: you know, being a student, excuse me, at Virginia Tech, you know, for the games that aren't Notre Dame or Clemson. Nobody wants to stay for all four quarters. Well, they're having that problem at other schools. This is not a Virginia yeah, Tech thing. But it, you but know, Nick Saban was complaining recently about lack of a student attendance <laughs> at Alabama games and people losing early. Now, their issue is they're playing bad non-conference opponents. The games start at noon, which is 11 a.m. out there, and they're beating them 60 to nothing. That's boring. That Nobody wants boring. to sit through that. Yeah. Um, oh. So everybody has their reasons. But, you know, I was watching a Clemson game recently, and – Corners of their stadium was empty. I mean, this is—it's not a Virginia Tech thing. This is a. So that's why stadiums are getting built smaller and smaller. When the Braves built their new stadium, you know, despite being in the city of Atlanta, I think their new stadium seats six or seven thousand fewer than their old stadium, and, and it's like that. It's like that everywhere. People are are building their stadiums smaller these days. They're just put, putting in more amenities and making them nicer and things like that. Um, you know, ten years from now, I don't think Lane will need a need sixty-five thousand seats. No, fifty-five or sixty. That's uh, just the way. And Castle Coliseum doesn't need ten thousand people. And Virginia Tech for a while. Virginia Tech has the best basketball coach in school history, as far as I'm concerned. And the average attendance last year was about seventy-five hundred. game. Right. That's way below ten thousand. Right. And that was for the second straight NCAA tournament appearance. Right. To 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 make it a Virginia Tech thing, you know what Virginia Tech did from nineteen ninety-three up till now, their rise to prominence nationally. You know, you can only do that once. You right. can you can only go from nothing to something once. And that's very exciting. And everybody piles onto the bus. And they all go and they all want to ride. Well, you know, you get a little bit further down the road and fans have already seen this before and there's nothing new about it. And I'm sorry, that, that nobody nobody likes the way that sounds. There are the diehards out there going, Oh, I go to see the Hokies play no matter what, no matter when, no matter who they're playing. Yeah, but we're talking tens of thousands of people how do they react as a group what is their group slash mass psychology and the fact of the matter is when something new is happening everybody gets jazzed about it even if virginia tech is good enough once again to make another run to the national championship game it won't be the first time now don't get me wrong it'll be exciting and everybody everybody will freak out but it's been done they're doing a lot of stuff now that's already been done and it's natural for people on the perimeter to lose their interest over time. And I also think another good point, and I, w- I want to go back to you, you You look at, and someone who would actually do a great job talking about this is Bill Roth, um, how technology has really changed the way fans view sports. I mean, I know that I have, I know people that would much rather go sit in a man cave and bring in a couple extra TVs and computers and have four or five games going go to Food Lion or Kroger, buy some stuff, and sit at the house and, and watch games all day. You can day. get up and get a beer without – well, first of all, you can get up and get a beer, which you can't <laughs> do in Lane Stadium at all, which honestly I, I don't you think – you can at the baseball stadium. You can at the baseball stadium, right. You sure can. Um, but but there's just different ways to watch. Uh, you're and, right. And I also – again, this society as a whole is – <laughs> I need to phrase this the right way – it is a lazier society than it, it, it is it, today than it ever has it is. been. It is. Let's go ahead and face that. It, it absolutely is. Um, and that's 
partly because it's there's so many things to do that you can do without even leaving your house these days. Um, to, to me, that, that that's a big part of it. I'll say this. You know, I write a Sunday article, and sometimes I'll come home from a game, and if there was a questionable play during the game, and you don't, I don't know, I don't know what happened if I'm in the stadium. You see one or two replays, but they're not going to be, you're not going to have six replays like they do on your television screen from all these different angles and things like that. I'll come home and I'll ask on our message boards, but I'll be like, for those of the game, what happened on this play? So the people who weren't at the game are able to tell me what happened. I was there and I didn't know what happened. Um, so the. It's, to me, it's it's all about. I agree. It's 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 a number of different factors, but I think the prices of big, awesome televisions are going down, and the price of going to a game in person is going up. And and so so your natural so is, inclination is, any, is, is anyone surprised right. by by this the way it's trending? But I also do think Chasby yeah, to his question, what can be done to fill the stands again? You're 100% right that this can never be done again, this rise. It's a national prominence, a national championship game. However, you know, you look at the 18, 19, 20-year-olds who weren't alive to see that in the, in the generation coming up. I mean, here's the thing. Let's, let's, let's face the reality. Virginia Tech is not a perennial top 10 team. Right, not anymore. Anymore. And when they were, there was always that side of, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you guys were, I wasn't old enough to really experience this, but always every year this could be the year that they get back to the national championship or Mm -hmm. that was the expectation and right now we're dealing with losing the old dominion and being borderline top 25 and i love our program i love everything about i'm not trying to talk bad about the program however it is in a different place fan wise to get excited like it would be a true upset if we were to beat notre dame this year you go back to 2008 9 10 that's a top 10 matchup it wouldn't be an upset right you're absolutely right um and i think I think the old Dominion loss honestly took some wind out of the sails for some fans. And some fans react to different losses in different ways, and some people get more upset about losses than, than others. The only loss that we've, we've ever gone through that really took the wind out of my sails was the Boise State loss. And I wasn't myself really until halfway through that season. Uh, the next week when they lost to uh, James Madison, you know, it was raining that day, and I couldn't get anybody to go to the game with me. So uh, I went downtown to park my car before the game, and I was going to grab a bite to eat because uh, I didn't want to, you know, go out and tailgate in the rain because, I, again, I couldn't get anybody to go with me. So I get in, inside, get my lunch, get a beer. Guess where I ended up watching the game? Um, champs? Right. <laughs> exactly. Because I, I couldn't get anybody to go with me because nobody wanted to go to the game because it was raining. I went to just, champs after that game, by the way. Oh, so, really? so the person I went with left at halftime. Right. I'm sitting there by myself in the rain, and the way the game was trending, I left that game early. Every time everybody brings up the JMU game, I remember sitting in the drive-thru at Wendy's listening to it on the radio, <laughs> and there was a moment where I was like, we're actually going to lose this football game. I left because it was boring and wet and miserable, but now I'm sitting in my car waiting for my, my Wendy's hamburger, and not only is this a terrible day, but we're actually going to lose this thing. And I managed to squeeze into a crowd at Bull and Bones and watch the last three or four minutes on the television. Right. And, you know, people don't want to do things by themselves, right? And the other example I said is the 2015 pit game. I had to go to that game by myself because I couldn't get anybody to go with me. There was literally nobody in the row in front of me or behind me. I'm literally sitting there by myself. Oh, that was the one that rained, right? Oh, oh. horrible rain. I'm literally sitting there by myself watching us play awful. Who? I mean – People don't want to do things by themselves. So, 
I think I think when other fans start checking out, it becomes easier for you to check out. Um, well, that's a good point. It, it's it's yeah. a it's a mass momentum thing. So yeah, uh, so let, no, right. Let's say you live in Northern Virginia or Charlottesville, or maybe even way out in Virginia Beach, and you want to come to this game Thursday night, and you can't find anybody to go with you. You're not going. So in your group of five friends, maybe you know two of you want to go. But because three of you don't want to go, you're actually losing all five of you aren't It's a going. great right. point. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So great it, build, it, build, it kind of builds momentum on itself, unfortunately. I'll close with this thought. Even though we're talking about and, you know, trying to re-energize the fan base, or not even that, the, our fan base rocks. Let's be real. Hokie Nation, fantastic fan base. I think the point that we're all just trying to say is just, you know, or what I'm trying to say, it's different times than it was 2010 to yeah. 2018. Yeah. And so, um, you know, people... Oh, I mean, it's the same for most fans. Yeah. Okie Nation's yeah. the best, and I think we'll end with this. Winning cures everything, <laughs> doesn't yeah. it? It really uh, does yeah. cure just about everything. Well, so. we, we hope there will come a year where Virginia Tech, in this scenario, would have beaten ODU, would have beaten Notre Dame. And undefeated right now. And would be undefeated and in the top ten. Correct. Um, you know, the hope is that two or three years from now is all these... Uh, all these players mature and Fuente's stamp really is completely on the program that you finally do have that year where you're six, seven, eight, nine, and oh, you know, we'll uh, see what happens. And, and you know, I, I want to point out that it doesn't seem like we're particularly close, but what if Virginia Tech had for available for the Old Dominion and Notre Dame? What if, what if they had Tim Settle, Mook Reynolds, Adonis Alexander and Trevon Hill, just those four guys. Nobody's going to blame Terrell Edmonds and Tremaine Edmonds for leaving. They were first-round picks, right? I know Settle got drafted. He's playing a little, I guess, for the Redskins. I think he cost himself a bunch of money by not sticking it out for another year. That's my personal opinion. I think he made a mistake. And obviously those other three guys made their share of mistakes. But I think those four guys together, they completely changed the dynamics of that Notre, of the Notre Dame You're game right. and obviously the Old Dominion game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Four guys, I think we're unbeaten right now, or at least possibly. And, and again, and that's such a great point because we get all negative. But you think about it, if we let's just say we lose Notre Dame in a close one, and we beat Notre Dame. I mean, Old Dominion, we're a top twenty-five team. We're probably somewhere around fourteen to eighteen in the country. That's right. And yeah. so yes. everybody's feeling fine right now. So again, yeah, yeah. we're going to steamroll Georgia Tech, right? <laughs> Go. <laughs> well, thank you again to Chaz B for the. You know, it was a fun conversation to kind of think about. And, and yeah, and so we're actually up to a minute, an hour and five minutes now. So are we? I actually? told you we went well, on for a while. Let's now. take a look at uh, Will Stewart's Twitter bio here as we wrap up the podcast. Nobody likes you when you're 23 and you still act like you're in freshman year. So that was that was for Chris Coleman. Chris will tell you uh, was, uh, the band and the song. Blink 182. What's my age again? Actually, one of the most iconic uh, video, music videos of my high school career. Were, were they butt naked in there? They were. They're, that's uh, the one where they're all running around <laughs> naked. <laughs> there we go. That will be, we'll <laughs> so the reason I settled on that one is Chris has not been able to get any of these lyrics, and a lot of them are obscure, you know. Uh, but I remember him telling me his favorite band of all time was Blink-182, so I picked a random Blink-182 song. And, you know, you got to find lyrics that look kind of interesting in your Twitter bio where people are like, what are you talking about, you know? Yeah, and I go back and forth. There are times when Blink-182 is my favorite band. There are times when it's Third Eye Blind. There are times when it's Weezer. Third Eye Blind, fantastic yeah. band. So, so, you know, so I go, I go in okay. phases, but 
that's generally my top three. In so we'll lead off order. with that song next week. Not the music video, however, the music we <laughs> will not do that. We will be fully clothed at the <laughs> yeah. beginning of next week's podcast. <laughs> All right, what's going on on TechSideline.com this week? I know it's a little bit of a different week with the game on Thursday. Uh, what's going on? We had a, an article by Brandon Patterson this week, a subscription article called uh, Culture of Justin Fuente. Is that what yeah, he called that, it, Chris? Yeah, that's exactly what it was called. And I think it... It examines the program in a way that it has not been examined before. Partly because, you know, Fuente is not a... Uh, self-promoter. Self-promoter. Yeah, that's the phrase I used, I think. Uh, so, But the information is there if you know how to do the research, and Brandon Patterson did a great job doing the research. Fantastic. Yeah, so he's, he's just... T- there's a lot of things Fuente talks about when he goes to clinics and certain settings where he talks about the program in a lot of detail that he doesn't talk about the program in the same way when he's in front of the weekly media sessions or of course pre or post game so Brandon uh, pays attention to a lot of that stuff and picked a lot of stuff up and it's a very interesting article also check out Corey Van Dyke's article about Sean Glennon um, and the, the old Georgia Tech jersey <laughs> oh man that story's gonna live forever forever oh, and by the way story. Sean told me that that jersey used to be a Merriman it is now framed at his house is that right good he, he has he, the jersey yeah. First of all, Sean's a, Sean's a good guy. He's a great interview, you know, and and he um, – uh, so if, if the, the, the song, uh, She Blinded Me With Science by Thomas Dolby, that's an actual, like, English scientist, I think, who yells, science, in that song. Yeah. <laughs> and so he'll, he says he'll be walking down the street and people yell at him, science, and he hates it, you know. <laughs> Sean Glennon does not hate the Georgia Tech jersey no, story. He, no, it's one of his favorites. It. He loves yeah. it, man. If, if you go to his Twitter feed every time, every time this year when they're getting ready to play Georgia Tech, people are bringing it up and he's retweeting it. He likes telling the story and likes being a part of that that lore. And I think he even said in Corey's article, you know, people, yeah, people after a while they won't really talk about the games you played and you know if you're him and and how you did in this game and that game. He said, but I think they'll always talk about the stolen jersey. Sean loves Virginia Tech too. You yeah. know, you see players at schools, you know, they'll graduate, they'll go away. They stop paying attention. Sean does not stop paying no. attention. He is a big tech fan. It was cool to see him in the Notre Dame game. He was hanging out with Eddie Royal and Brandon Flowers. His old high school teammate, Eddie Royal. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize oh, They that. were both four-star recruits from Westfield High School in Northern Virginia. Oh, I know pretty, Westfield High School. That was a dynamic duo for that. For well, you know, they, they, after they uh, committed to tech, uh, yeah, they would have been committed, not signed yet. I guess they were still in high school. I, the two of them came by one of my tailgates one time. I was at that tailgate. Yeah, and and we have pictures of, like, Sean and Eddie throwing the football with some of the kids that were at our tailgate. With you. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> with one of the kids at your I've, tailgate. I've blocked those pictures out because I've seen my throwing motion, and I don't, <laughs> don't want to have that image in my head. <laughs> um, by the way, next week there's an interesting Eddie Royal recruiting story that I'd like to share. Okay. Remi- uh, remind yourself. Story time with CC. Down. I will yeah. not forget it. Okay. Well, speaking of a dynamic duo on the field, we've got the best dynamic duo here in Blacksburg. Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, thanks so much for your time, guys. It's going to wrap up this week's edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Don't forget, follow us on social media at Tech Sideline on Twitter and Facebook. For Will, Chris, I'm Evan. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast.